You're listening to A Late Discovery, a Texas side story of hidden secrets and jailhouse redemption. Part four, pop. Let's let's go. That's just from the beginning, Brad. What okay. what when did you find out kind of your dad's story or kind of what about him? When did he enter the story for you? As a story, he entered the story two days after I found out I was adopted. Yeah. Um, Tana's mom had told Pam everything. I, I told Pam to find out everything. Yeah. Pam knew everything. And I think I said earlier on in the podcast, I'm a police officer. I've been a police officer for 27 years. I really have a hard time walking past a can of worms without opening it and see what's inside of it. Yeah. So we, we were actually, uh, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I always end up doing these things in public. So two days after <laughs> I found out I was adopted, we were at a friend's house having drinks and just hanging out and it was close, close friends for years. And they, and we were telling them, I mean, part of the reason we were there is because a, I needed to decompress and B, they wanted to hear what in the world you just found out. Right. So I'm telling that story and I get done telling them, I'm like, and you know, Pam, so, so what, what have you been told so far? And she's like, you know, I don't think this is a good time for that. And I'm like, <laughs> well, you know, that's not a good answer for me. Cause now I have to know why it's not a good time. And she's like, I just, I don't know if you're ready for all this. And I'm like, well, I, I, I need to know. I said, you don't have to tell me, but I said, how do you know? She's like, well, you know, she's texted it all to me through Facebook. And I was like, can I have your phone? She goes, I don't think we should do this. I'm like, I know you don't, but I, I can't not do it. I, I can't deal with any of this. So she gave me her phone and I started scrolling through the messages that are, here's the story of your parentage. And the brief story of my parentage from back in California was Tana's mom and my biological father were married in California when he started a relationship with my biological mom, who was underage at the time. Yep. And at some point that broke off. I don't think because of any problem other than they moved to Texas and my bio mom was still too young to be moving anywhere. So she stayed in school in California. And then fast forward two-ish, three-ish years, she graduates from high school and she lands back in Dallas. Yep. So that was all 1969, 1970. In, well, actually I can tell you because we've been talking about a lot. April 23rd of 1972, my father landed in Angola State Penitentiary in Louisiana. And he has been there for 50 years, six months, or I'm sorry. Yeah. 50 years, six months, three weeks, and four days. Mm-hmm. He, he has not let, I say he hasn't left. He escaped for a day while he was there, but short of that one escape, he has not left prison. He escaped, Brad. Oh, That's Brad, a story I've never heard. Over that. <laughs> I just grew up knowing that, that he was in prison. I kind of knew the reasons why, but I never heard of the escape story. He escaped what? in, actually, hold on. I've got my phone right here and I've got his sheet so I can actually tell you when, because I, oh I don't know. But so he had been in prison since I was born in July of 70. So basically when I was about one and a half, he went to prison. Okay. He was in prison for about the only thing you stay in prison for 50 years for, which is murder. Um, 
the story I was born behind- two years after that, by the way. So I'm 74. So Brad was born in 1970, right? Fine, Tana. You're younger. We get it. And I, and I win. So I'm just a hot <laughs> few years younger. I had to do the math earlier to figure out how old I was. Somebody asked. I literally had to use the calculator. So we're at the age where you have to subtract the years. So Sometime in his first year of incarceration, he escaped for a little while. Oh, my gosh. This is amazing. Okay. But so when he made it born. off, if you've ever seen Angola State Penitentiary, if not, look it up on Google Maps. Yeah. It's surrounded by a river and woods. It's actually a literal dead-end street. When you drive to Angola, you suddenly get to a prison gate that you can't go around. You either go in the prison or you turn around and you go back about 20 miles. Yeah. He escaped off into the woods, and he said the bullets got a little closer than he preferred, and he surrendered and went back to prison <sighs> rather than get shot for escape. Was he by himself? So, Did he escape alone? I have so many questions. I won't ask it, them It was right him now. and a buddy. Yeah. Well, him, I'll, I'll ask those some other time. Sure. So many questions. Okay. He, he okay. and a buddy escaped. Um, I think his buddy made it further, but still ended up back. He surrendered okay. pretty quick because getting shot was not his was not his. That wasn't what he was in the mood for. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So... I had a father suddenly that had had sexual relationship with a underage girl that eventually be that eventually I became the product of when she was of age. But so that was one whole dynamic to put to bed, which I I actually have. We can dive into that. But that on top of in 1972, he killed a man. And in case anybody missed it, we glazed over this really quickly, but. Brad, why don't you tell everybody what you do for a living? I'm a police officer. Yeah. And have been for a long time. 27 years. So you have now found out as a police officer that your biological father is in prison. Murder. Yeah. As a murder. Period. The end. I mean, it's yeah. it's yeah. not a proud title for him to wear, but he, he accepts that that's what he did. So, so do you mind sharing with us a little bit how, like, what has that relationship and that side of the family been? You know, how, how have you navigated that? It, so I'll start with it. It, it was pro, it was so much slower than y'all's side of the family mm-hmm. because sure. I have been a cop. I've dealt with people that have done things like my father, not any worse because there's really nothing worse, but all kinds of crimes. And I really didn't know what to do with him. What I learned later is while all of this was going on and because Tana's mom had always suspected that that's who my mom's, the father of the baby was, but was never sure. When she found out about me, she went ahead and started contacting him in prison to see if he would admit to being my father. That is true. That is true. Yeah, but like, hey, FYI, I'm just wondering. I've always thought dot dot dot. Yeah. Could so, this be dot dot dot? <laughs> so yeah. that that was going on behind the scenes, which will add a weird layer to this in a little bit that's always yeah. still befuddles me now, even though I understand it all. But yeah. so the the contact with him, it was honestly. It was, it wasn't hard. And I, I did a podcast one day when somebody asked, you know, what is it like to talk to me? He's like, he's not the first murderer I've ever talked to. So <laughs> th- there is a blessing to the fact that I was a police officer because he was not sure. a novel thing. Yeah. And maybe you were able to humanize him to, to some extent. I, I would wonder, right? Because to a degree, this, yeah, to a degree I could humanize him. And also yeah. I knew how to talk to him. You, you can't, mm-hmm. if you, if for 
for all of your, however, 15,000 or so listeners that don't regularly talk to people in prison, prison phone calls are monitored, prison emails are read, prison video visits are monitored, prison visits are monitored. Yeah. So you can't call your father and say, why are you there and what did you do? Because he doesn't want to talk about all of that and all these monitored communications. Right. So I had the upside of understanding how to talk to somebody living like that. Yeah. <clears throat> and where Tana's family was, oh my gosh, overwhelming. He was very simple because in prison, I had to have a special app on my phone for him. He and I to email back and forth. And I had to accept phone calls if he called me. And they always started out with, you're receiving a phone call from a person in Louisiana State Penitentiary. So I always had the option to hang up or take that app off my phone. And at any moment, I could cut contact. So that was probably the safest and easiest for me because I knew at any minute I could just stop. That's so interesting, Brad. Almost those parameters in that structure was a little bit of like control for you. It was it was so nice. Yeah, I can see was, that. There was so much to that hmm. with what was going on with him that I was like, well, okay, if he ends up being a guy that I can't stand, we can be done. Yeah. But that isn't what happened. No, it's not. So and it's probably a good time to jump into this. So I, I learned all this two days after finding out I was adopted. I got to digest here's some things about your dad that you've never known before. Mm. So I digested all of that, found out that Tana's mom had already been talking to him, which not a thrilling moment in my life to find out that somebody in prison had my full name and other information that I wouldn't pass along to people in prison because that's not really my gig. Um, I would guess not. You can, so, y'all, can work, y'all can work through that. <laughs> yeah. We've been working through that. So <laughs> that had gone on and the upside to that was because Tana's mom had contacted him, I knew at least that I could because I didn't know you could email people in prison. This was new to me. So I chose email to start with because email felt the safest. It was, you know, a, it's completely controlled. He can send me an email. I can be like, I can't do this today. Mm. I can't read this. And also my introverted side and just my personality in general will tell you, I love to write much more than I like to talk because when I write, I can think about what I say and I don't have to answer you back immediately. I I can read something you say, hate it, go scream at the wall and then come back and respond to it without having to have that immediate expectation of an answer. So we started there and um. It, it was just very, I'll tell you the first, I'll, I'll look for it because I know people listening can't hear, but I'll hold up the screen for the two of y'all. The first email from that I shared with him, I told him, you know, who I was. And I, I didn't know is he and I were talking that Tana's mom and he had been talking about me. I thought this was all new info that he was getting. And I told him what was going on and he was, he was very hesitant. I don't take offense to that. He was like, you know, you could be my son. You could not be my son. I, 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 I 100% know your mom. I was with your mom, but I also know your mom was with other people. I have no idea if it was you. And so I sent him one back and said, well, I've gotten a few pictures of you because Tana's mom had shared some pictures of him from prison. And I sent him that. And <laughs> he, yeah, that's. Yeah. So for our <laughs> listeners, it's like, I don't know, like, 
you used an aging app yes. and there you yes. are on the phone screen. It's well, like, actually, that's, that's, a little us, bit. that's us about two years apart from each other. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. So I emailed him a picture of the two of us that I had put together side by side yep. and his second email began with, Hey son. Wow. And I read, Hey son, I closed his email and I didn't open that email app for a month because wow. I was not ready to hear that. So interesting. It was too much. Uh, way too much. Way too, way too fast. Way too much. My brain couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I sat on it for probably a month. And then in that month of all things, you have a nice podcast. So I won't actually say what I say. <laughs> oh, I can bleep it. I, if you I, want to there's say some it. words there. I refer to Lester Holt with a couple of adjectives in front of his name because I love Lester Holt. And Lester Holt did a Dateline special on Angola State Penitentiary oh. that one of my friends was like, hey, somebody did a, a documentary about where your father's at prison. You should watch that. And I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. So I watched it. And on my third day of having not slept, I suddenly realized that while I'd been telling everybody I was doing okay, I might mm-hmm. actually need to go to therapy. Yeah. Interesting. Because I, and really, it, it was not a tough guy persona. I, I felt like I had an interesting story and a bunch of weird stuff had happened, but I didn't really catch on to the trauma until day three of not sleeping when I was like, uh-oh, I can't function in my job and never go to sleep again because this yeah. isn't good. Yeah, yeah. So I started therapy. We started started talking to a great therapist who's not my therapist anymore, just by bad circumstance that she moved, but I have another one now. But what we worked through in that time was basically, you know, you have a, your life has been out of control now for, this was about mm, about four or five months in. So my life had felt like I had lost all control of it for about four months. Cause there was just no, everything was happening to me and I didn't know enough about anybody to get control of it. And she, this is something you have control of. Yeah. So now you've got to decide what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, that's why I came here. I don't know what I want to do. So we worked through that and basically came to the conclusion or I came to the conclusion that I would have a lot. He was 75 by then. And I was like, and you know, the, the question she would always ask me is, so if, if, if you come in here next week and he's dead, do you have regrets that you don't know more? And it took me several weeks to come to the conclusion that, yeah, I, I can't deal with not knowing. Mm-hmm. So I opened the email back up apologized for and I, I, the, the upside of our relationship is we have been very blunt and forthcoming. I told him, I was like, son, right then was too much for me. I couldn't deal with it. I'm not mad at you, but I couldn't cope with it. So I had to take a pause. I'm back now. And I'd like to know some things. And I mean, it was very general, you know, what are you like? What are your likes, dislikes? And it was really through him that I suddenly found my biological groundings. He's an artist. I mean, outside of going to prison, he he turns wood and makes incredible wood bowls. He paints, he draws, he loves music. Mm -hmm. We couldn't be more alike other than our two chosen professions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it started very simply with emails. There were a couple of phone calls, but they were always very, it's so in prison, you get 10 minute at a time phone calls. So it's really hard to get through, especially, hey, you're my father. Tell me about yourself. 
Oh, you don't yeah, get through a lot nine of nine minutes, minutes and 40 seconds left for you to tell me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, and every about five minutes, a computer gets on the phone and says, you are speaking to an inmate at least to remind you that you're speaking to an inmate. So we, I stuck mostly to email a for the link that I could actually ask questions and B yeah. once again, I still had control. So it went from email to back to therapy to do I want to meet him in person. And that one was still a big struggle for me. I'm like, you know, I don't know. And she's like, well, I'm going to ask you the same question. I always ask you if he's dead tomorrow and you've never laid eyes on him, how are you going to be with that? And it became apparent really quickly that I wasn't okay. I needed to see him once to be able to say, okay, because I, I've already got the downside of, I will never meet my mother. I'm not ever going to see her on this earth. I've seen her by vid in videos twice that I keep and I watch when I feel up to it, but mm -hmm. I'll never, ever get to talk to her once. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't stand the thought of never talking to him like face to face. Yeah. So, um, we set that up. We were communicating off and on by email, just very, very surface conversations about, life and you know who are you this is who i am here's a picture of me here's a picture of you um and then when we started talking about meeting it's it's so it's weird to think of now and to his credit he was 100 honest he says okay i can set up a meeting for us i know the warden and i'm already thinking in my police head this is all bs this sounds like good inmate stuff i know the warden i can do this i can do that all I need is your full name, your date of birth, your social security number, your driver's license number, and your home address. <laughs> and I'm like, hmm, oh, and, okay. and your login. It's yeah, a login. Like, yes. Right. So the I read that. Like, huh. Totally, totally. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. Let, um, let me think about that and get back with you. So I call the prison and I'm like, so here's my story. I would like to meet this person. What do I need to do? And thank, thankfully, they sent me a form that actually did want all of that information because they run a background check on you before you go to prison. Yeah. But I sent it to them instead of him, which he actually told me during our first visit. He said, I understand why you were standoffish. And then I was like, I was not standoffish, but I absolutely was. Yeah. Because I was not giving that to him. Right. So I got the visit set up. I called him and you know, I actually think I emailed him and said, you know, I've got, we've got the visit. Here's the date. Yada, yada, yada. He's like, I'm talking to the warden because you're coming from Texas and you're my newfound son. You can stay here for eight hours. Most prison visits are an hour, but I can get you here for eight hours. Once again, in my brain, I'm going, I'm sure you can. Right. And I'm sure an hour after I leave, I'll be escorted back to the gate, just like every other visitor. Just like every other part of this story, he was right and I was wrong. Wow. I went to Angola. I got there at 830 in the morning and I left at 430 that afternoon. Wow. Wow. Um, it's, it's weird because outside of being a police officer, I, I mistakenly for anybody listening, thinking about it, got a degree in criminal justice, get a degree in anything else. You can still be the police and have a degree in something different. But we had studied Angola when I was in college. So I knew what an awful place it was before I ever stepped foot in there to see him. And the first just to jump forward to the first meeting to skip the getting there and all that. Cause that's just a long story that doesn't really add to what we're talking about. I got there and there were probably three or four other visitors there. You're in a big, 
it's not like you, this there, and there are places like this, their visiting room is a big open area. It's not a, you sit on one side, like in the fugitive and the guy comes the other side of the glass, you're in a room at a table waiting for people. And as I'm sitting there, inmates are trickling in. There's inmates working in the kitchen. There's inmates coming for other visits. And they come through a side door that you don't see them come through. You can hear the electronic lock buzz. So everybody looks up. And when I I have to back up, when I met my sister, my wife was like, you look so much like her. And I'm like, I just don't see it. It's like, oh, you look so much like her. Well, we leave and my wife shows us the pictures. And I'm like, oh, there's me as a girl. Huh. Okay. I didn't know that. <laughs> and I mean, I think Tonic can attest Kimberly and I look a lot alike. Yeah. So I'm sitting there waiting and I had, I had seen pictures of him, but I think the most recent picture I'd seen him had to be at least five or six years old. Yeah. Cause he couldn't big shock in prison. He could not send me a selfie. So I, <laughs> I had what other people had and that was it. But when, when I looked up one time, when I heard the door buzz, I had no doubt who was in the room. I was like, "Uh oh, well, that's me in my seventies. And so what I had built in my head was what I've dealt with most of my life. A person that, yes, he murdered a man, but what I was ready for was it wasn't his fault. Here's why it wasn't his fault. Here's how the world conspired against him to make his life hard. Mm -hmm. And, Basically, he shouldn't be here. This is all because somebody else did bad things. Mm. And he walked up. We did the weird kind of dude hug thing because in my <laughs> head, I couldn't figure out. I, I laugh about it all the time. My wife and I used to love to watch um, Arrested Development. Oh, yeah. And in Arrested <laughs> Development, when Michael visits his father in prison, there's always the guard that beats on the table and screams no touching every time they like hold hands. Or <laughs> hug. So I kept picturing that. So we walk up and we do this little quick dude hug and pat on the back and he sits down and he's like, well, son, I want to be honest with you. And the back of my brain goes, and here we go. Here here comes the load of crap that I've been waiting to hear, but I've gotten to see him so we can sit through this and we'll be good. Yeah. And instead I got, I could tell you that I'm here because I was drinking and doing drugs because I was doing both at the time, but I'm here because I made a horrible choice that I can't fix Hmm. and there's nothing I can do about it. Wow. And from there to his credit, he carried on into things that had nothing to do with why he was in prison, but to just, I think it was twofold. And I, I forgot to ask him this. I need to ask him this sometime soon. I think it was twofold as he really did. He, at this point in his life, he did not have a relationship with his other son that was good. And he basically told me, I'm laying it all out for you. And he laid it all out. He laid out his life before prison, before the crime that got him convicted, which was not his only crime in life. And then the things he had done in prison for quite a few years. Yeah. And I'm just sitting there staring at him, but everything really changed because Mm -hmm. I had just come out of 48 years of lies Wow. Yeah. And somebody sat down and was honest and just said, you know, here, here's me, here I am. The flip side of that, that I'll tell you that I believe that I do want to ask him at some point is I think it was also a test. If he lays all of this out here Uh, and I fall off the face of the earth, 
there's been no great investment on his part either. He tried, I bailed, and he didn't slowly but surely lead me into all this just to get left in the dirt. And at least you knew the truth, right? He could live with that. Yeah, Yeah, he could leave with that. And then he didn't have to deal with, I thought I was going to get to have a relationship, but it it didn't get to. Didn't work for him, yeah. So to his credit, outside of just the honesty of his life that led him into prison, he was right. We had eight hours in a visiting room together. We had lunch. We got to take pictures. And I I think my biggest regret, and it's not really a regret because I had no control over it, in prison, when you visit, no phone, no paper, no pen. So I walked out after eight hours trying to remember so much that I still to this day don't know. Yeah. Because it was it was drinking from a fire hose. He kept telling me things, and I'm trying to take it all in. I think the other weird part was at one point I said, you know, just I know we've emailed, but tell me about yourself. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, you know, and how do I, how do I say it? I like to keep to myself. I don't like to bother other people. I like art. I like to do this. You're like, Oh, I see. (laughs) And he got about probably three sentences in that. I said, I want to interrupt you not to be rude, but I feel like you're describing me to me, but you're not talking about me. And the whole time, I mean, he's talking and I'm trying to listen, but I'm also looking at it because there's a face like mine staring at me. I mean, even older, there's a face like mine. His hands look like mine. It's the first time I've seen where I came from. So we hit it off really good. And when I left there, you know, first person I called Pam had come with me and she's like, do you want me to come in the prison with you? I was like, of all the things I ever want to say I did with my wife, I never want to say I took her inside of Angola prison. I'm not cool with that. Yeah. So she stayed at the hotel. I went to prison, came back, called her in the parking lot. And she's like, you know, so how'd it go? And I'm like, it, it went okay. She's like, well, what do you think? And I was like, I'm really confused right now because I genuinely like him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the mm-hmm. crappy part of that story was we met February 18th of 2020. Uh, here we go. COVID. My biological dad or my, yeah, my adoptive dad died March 13th of 2020. So less than a month. Yeah. I had a dad, but I lost a dad. Oh my gosh. Um, So we had that going Yeah. about, I can't remember when my dad's funeral was, but in probably the week after my dad's funeral, we all learned what COVID was. Yeah. And there was no more prison visitation for almost a year and a half. Wow. So I had now met this guy who it turns out I like. Yeah. And I mean, from where I am to where he is was a seven hour drive. So I couldn't go see him all the time, but I left there intended on seeing him a lot more and learning a lot more. And that door got slammed in both our faces. And and losing your dad who would, who, yeah. We, we, when I lost my dad, he, um, my adopted or my bio dad and I didn't talk for almost a month. And I actually, I never even told him until, until I finally recontacted him. Why? Because I had just shut down. Yeah, of course. And I mean, and that was it was 
I lost my dad at the same time I learned how bad my mom's Alzheimer's was. My mom and I's relationship because of the hidden adoption, I believe, has been very rocky and very odd our whole lives. We've had a hard relationship. So I found myself caring for somebody in a lot of ways that I, in a lot of ways I never expected to, that I already struggled with. Yeah. Yeah. So... Did you get to tell your dad about meeting by that? I did. So that's probably the cool, the only cool part of the end of my dad's life story is, and this is one of those purely conjecture things. I believe my dad died of COVID. I don't know. Looking back, he had all the symptoms of COVID, but he was about three weeks pre-COVID of us understanding what it was. Yeah. But my, he was in the hospital for about a week. And, um, my mom and I shared, mm-hmm. I'd stay a night, she'd stay a night, I'd stay a night, she'd stay a night. Well, every night, he, my dad was a fighter pilot. They had gone through survival training, which back then for Vietnam was awful. The stuff that they would do to them to prepare them in case they got captured. Yeah. Well, because he was having air problems, oxygen problems, they put a BiPAP on him, which not only does what your CPAP does, which is blow air. It also sucks the air back out of you to make sure you're taking full breaths. And he would wake up in the middle of the night, going back to survival school training, thinking dudes were smothering him and start fighting with that mask. So the nights I was there, I'd wake up, we'd get it off of him. I'd wake him up and we'd, you know, he'd eventually go back to sleep. But the, I think it was the last night I spent with him in the hospital. He woke up fighting the thing. I took it off of him and I sat back down. He looks over and he goes, uh, Bradley, I'm dying. And I'm like, you're dying now? Or just in a general sense, you think you're really sick? He's like, no, no, I, th- I think I'm dying. Mm-hmm. And I should back up and tell you when Tana talks about family secrets. The first day my father was in the hospital, my mom walked out of the room to go get something from the nurse's station. And as soon as the door shut, he bolted, sit up in bed and said, you remember I have a DNR and don't let them do that crap that I don't want done to me. Don't tell your mom. Mm. And I'm like, Oh, well, that's great. Th- thanks for dropping that one for me. Holy crap. So I, I know all of this already. So we're sitting there talking. He's telling me I'm dying. I said, you know, so do you mean generally or now? Or he's like, I, I think I'm dying right now. I was like, well, you told me you don't want anything done. So what do you want me to do? And he's like, let's talk. I said, okay, what do you want to talk about? He goes, did you ever meet your bio family? Mm. Brad, I didn't know this part of your story. I didn't know that this was the moment which you got to, to connect with him on that. Yep. Oh, what was his reaction? Uh, It was so good. Mm. Mm. We talked for probably an hour Mm. about, I mean, it was, let's see. It had been less than a month after I'd been to the prison. Somehow I talked him through meeting everybody. Mm. Talked about meeting my bio dad. Mm. I don't know if I can get through this. Um, Mm. When I told him I'd meet my bio dad. Mm. Okay. All he said was, I'm so glad you got to meet your dad. Oh, man. Yeah. I wonder what sort of, um, 
know, like severe mercy it was for him to be able to release that secret with you, you know, cause I'm sure it was so heavy on him too, Brad, you know, yeah, it was. And yeah. he told me then, yeah. like I said, he and I had hard conversations that my mom could never deal with. And he said, yeah. no. And I, and I told him when he started, I was like, this is never, and let, let me back up. Cause it doesn't, this is where I end up thinking people know things they don't know. Early on in this discovery, because we had met that one time and talked openly about, yes, you're adopted. I thought that we were going to have an open, mm. open adoption as an adult where we could talk about this. And it turned out that that was intended to be the one and only discussion we were having about adoption. If my mom was a cow. So there was a, there was a day where I was meeting my biological brother for the first time on my bio dad's side. And I was driving to meet him and my dad called me and said, Hey, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm just going to meet a buddy for dinner because we had had a couple of conversations and interactions before then that had let me know that was not something they wanted to talk about. Yeah. Not safe conversation. Yeah, not a safe right? conversation. We're not yeah. doing this. Yeah. So I so I learned and I was just I I was uh, I was angry about it, but I was also fine. That's a boundary. They don't want to cross it. It was, it was probably I actually wrote an art uh, article for it for a I'm trying to think what it's called now. Um, it'll come, Severance Magazine about not feeling at all abandoned by the mom that gave me up for adoption, but feeling completely abandoned by the parents who wouldn't talk to me about it after I found out. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he calls me this day. I'm going to meet my brother for the first time. And he's like, so, so who? And I was like, it's this guy named Jimmy. You don't know him. And he's like, well, Jimmy, who? I think I know most of your friends. I'm like, you don't know this friend. He's like, well, who is he? I'm like, he's my brother. And he goes, wow, it has been hot today. And I mean, that's kind of a clue that, well, we're not going there. Could not go there. Yeah. So so that's kind of how I'd taken it. So when he brought it up that night, the first thing I said was, dad, we don't need to do this. If, if, especially if this is it, if this is our last conversation, you've never wanted to talk about this and we don't have to. And he told me, no, I've never talked about it because your mom doesn't like it. So wow. I never talk about it because if she's in the room and hears it, she gets upset. Man. So we had great closure. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's something I, and I think even if my mom didn't have Alzheimer's, we wouldn't be able to have that kind of closure. Yeah. But he and I got it. And then he left the hospital and it's a whole nother, much longer story that I, I will not survive through on this podcast. That's okay. <laughs> he died about four or five days after he got out of the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I had all that happen. We had COVID. I couldn't go see my bio dad anymore because he's in prison and we're, we now have COVID. Um, but we had hit it off so well, we started emailing and thankfully the prison instituted video visitation for 10 minutes at a time for free. So we could actually see each other face to face and keep talking. Now, once again, we were back to that ultra monitored conversation. So the conversation in the visiting room, nobody's standing over you, listening to you, but you're still a little more guarded about what you say, but you can be a lot freer face to face on the video. And I'll give you a quick example of how monitored it is. They, when you get, when you find out that you can do a video visit, they basically send you the rules the first time that says, you know, you are living by 
Louisiana Department of Corrections visitation rules. All of the visitation rules that apply in the visitation room apply on this video. Well, one day I had gone to the gym right before his video visit, came back in a tank top and shorts, jumped up, flipped up my laptop. We were talking all video visits for five minutes, about four minutes in, my screen just went blank. And oh, it's Angola. Dress and code or something, right? It's dress code. So it's Angola I, and stuff cuts off all the time. But he emails me and says, son, I don't know what happened, but I just got an email that said we violated a, a visitation <laughs> rule. And I'm, and I'm racking my brain. So I've, I've got it on my phone. So I whip out the visitation <laughs> rules. I'm like, oh, I can't wear a tank top in visitation. <laughs> so, Oh, they man, there goes, your, there goes your outfit, Brad. What were you thinking? No, so they thinking? just spot check it. And when they spot yeah, check it, something they don't like, they just shut it off. Jeez, Louise. But wow. There's there's no discussion. It just goes blank. It's run away. Wow. So, so y'all are building this relationship through so, COVID right. on so these build, very short videos, right? Yes. Okay. We, we basically got to what we scheduled was on Mondays at 7 p.m. He called me for 10 minutes. And on Fridays in the morning, whenever I could get it scheduled, because it set up the schedule and I would do it, we would have a video visit for 10 minutes. So we were getting 20 minutes a week, every week. And we did that all the way through COVID after I got past my, about the month after my dad's death. And we started talking again. I, because he was open with me, I was very open with him. My first message back to him was, listen, my dad died. I, I've had to deal with all that. And I'm sorry, I should have told you my dad died. And that's why I've fallen off the face here. But that's why I did it. I think he's just happy that somebody cares enough to talk to him. So he accepted that apology and we moved on and that it just built. We, we talked for a long time. Um, he explained to me kind of the ins and outs. Of, I mean, he had told me when we were met face to face, all the things that led him to why he was there now, some of the laws that had changed that had kept him there, which we'll get into in a minute, I think. And basically as we went along, I think where the relationship changed a lot for really both of us was I started feeling comfortable enough just to be one, 100% open and honest about where I was with things. And I told him I had been calling him Jim and it seemed like it, it didn't seem to bother him, but because honesty and truth was already a big thing for me and it becomes such a bigger thing for me after all the lying I felt like I was lying to myself, calling someone that was biologically related to me by their first name. Yeah. But I told him, I said, I can't, I can't call you dad. And it's not because I'm mad at you, but I have a dad and I want to honor that. And so he I just, just I can't, I, yeah. well, and not even just passed away. I can't, I don't know why I can call Glenda, my mom all day long. I could not wrap my head around having two dads. I, and I think part of that is, I don't know if there's a better word for mom. Yeah. Mom, there's really not any more, yeah. any other words people use. Yeah. So he was like, well, you know, you could call me father. And I was like, we've talked enough that, you know, I'm not that formal to call you father. That's <laughs> weird. Hello, father. So I said, how do you feel about calling, being called pop? Oh. And he was like, well, I can live with that. I'm like, well, that I can live right. with that too. So yeah. he became pop. The other fun part about the video visits was really unplanned, but the only rule that, well, it is the same as visitation other than you don't have to be on the visitation list. 
is other people could be on the video visits. So during the video visits, he got to meet two of his grandkids. Oh, that's awesome. Because they'd come up over to the side of the computer and be like, can I say hi? And I'm like, yeah, just step over here and say hi. So he got to meet them. They emailed him. A couple of them emailed him a couple of times and mm-hmm. it grew mm-hmm. and just, it just kind of kept going. You've been listening to A Late Discovery, a Texas-style story of hidden secrets and jailhouse redemption from Empowered to Connect. For more on the podcast, to learn more about Brad, or to join our online community through Mighty Networks, please check out the link in the show notes below. Head to empoweredtoconnect.org or check the link in any of our social media bios at Empowered to Connect.